0: You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message.
1: Take your Bibles with me tonight and please turn to the book of Zechariah, chapter number 14, Zechariah chapter number 14. If you go to Matthew, go back to Malachi, then one back to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14. You go to the end of the chapter, I just want to read verses 20 and 21 to begin with tonight. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse number 20. If you follow along with me as I read, the Bible says in that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and seed therein. And in that day there shall be no more of the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts." Let's pray together tonight. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to be in your house tonight. I pray that you might bless in the preaching of the word of God. I pray that you might use me tonight. And Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to give attention as your Holy Spirit speaks to us. And Lord, help us to be willing to allow you to do business in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to give an overview of the book of Zechariah tonight. Of course, it is 14 chapters It is not a small book for the minor prophets, but as we looked at last week, as Pastor Everson preached out of the book of Haggai, the book of Zechariah historically goes hand in hand with what we saw chronologically last week in the book of Haggai. And what had taken place just to kind of catch us up and remind us, God's people for some time had left off building of the tabernacle. And in fact, they left off, they took a 15-year break because of a letter and because of a decree that was written by Artaxerxes in Persia. So during that time of a layoff of building the temple of God, these two prophets, Haggai, teamed up and paired up with Zechariah. They go to work preaching. And I'm glad tonight, I'm thankful tonight, that preaching has never been a time when it didn't work. Preaching of God's people, it always helps them to respond. The preaching of the Word of God is effectual in the lives of God's people. It worked in the Old Testament. It works today. And so God's men, they get to preaching, and they get to encouraging, and they get to rebuking and exhorting the people of God to get back on the agenda that God had for them. Now, in the book of Haggai, the people didn't have anything against the temple. Uh, They weren't against God's house. They simply just said that it wasn't time to build God's house. Like a lot of people today, even in God's house, maybe here tonight, you would say, well, I don't have anything against God per se. I don't have anything against church or serving the Lord per se, but I just, I just don't have it as a big priority of my life right now. That's what God's people said in the book of Haggai, and God said, it is time to get on my agenda. God said to consider your ways. But Zechariah is somewhat unique because he was a priest as well as a prophet. Uh, Commentators believe that Zechariah was younger than Haggai, and he sort of followed up behind, prophesying and preaching at the same time, but following up behind Haggai. He was born in Babylon and returned during that first return with Zerubbabel. So in comparison, Haggai's ministry was very practical and earthly. It was, let's get back to work. Let's go up to the mountain, get the wood, bring it back down, and finish and build the house of God. It was a a ministry of reproof because we are not doing what we are supposed to be doing. We are not on God's agenda. But Zechariah's ministry, in contrast, was very prophetic. And whereas Haggai's was earthly, Zechariah's was... ministry of prophecy in heavenly it was a ministry of exhortation more than of reproof the book is divided into two sections Uh, just quickly chapter 8 deals with encouraging the people to build the temple where they were encouraging God's man Zerubbabel and Joshua as they lead the people of God to build God's temple but the last six they're given after the temple is completed and Zechariah looks further, he, he leaves where he is there in the immediate with them. And he he looks beyond where they are, and he moves forward into the future, beyond where even the Bible gives us today, and beyond into the future millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and all throughout those last six chapters, he goes back and forth between the present of what they are there and dealing with the temple that they have there, and looking forward far 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 into the future when the Lord Jesus Christ will will come again. And it's given as an as an encouragement, as and as a revelation of the last days of that future millennial temple. And you can imagine how exciting it must have been for Zechariah to be receiving these prophecies, realizing that many people during Zechariah and Haggai's day, they, they were weeping and they were mourning over the state of the temple as it was built because it wasn't as beautiful, it wasn't as grandiose, and it wasn't, didn't have as many jewels and silver and gold and precious stones as Solomon's temple Zechariah was saying, oh, let's, let's wait and let's look beyond because one day there is going to be a temple here in Jerusalem and the Lord Jesus Christ will be reigning from it and it will be a glorious temple passing far beyond Solomon's temple and what it ever was. Tonight we don't have enough time to exhaust the book of Zechariah. Throughout the first eight chapters, the prophet is given a total of eight to ten different visions and what appears to be given all in one night. And I don't know if you ever dream or dream much, but that's a lot of visions in one night. And Zechariah was bombarded by the visions of, of that God was giving him of the future. And there are various meanings. Some are warnings for them to not be like their fathers. Look in chapter number one, in verse number, chapter one, and verse number four. He says, be not as your fathers unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Some of the prophecies, some of the exhortation from Zechariah has that type of a warning. Don't be like your fathers were. Don't not listen to the prophets. Don't, don't, don't delay, don't backslide. Some are an encouragement, knowing that God is on their side as they rebuild the temple. And it didn't matter what Artaxerxes had said. It didn't matter what Cyrus before him had said. God was going to accomplish his purpose with his people there in Jerusalem. Some are an assurance of God's judgment upon the nations that have abused Israel. There, in the past, and also that will abuse God's people in the future. In fact, Zechariah means Jehovah remembers. But then in chapter number eight, the focus switches from communicating to Zerubbabel and the encouragement and the truth there and to the people and their problems. Then it switches there in chapter number 8 to the, the reign of their future king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will solve all of the problems in all of the world. And he is described in chapter number 3 and chapter number 8 as the, as the coming branch that is going to come. And by the way, that's capital B, capital R-A-N-C-H. He is the branch that was prophesied in the book of Jeremiah and Jeremiah the book of Isaiah, the branch of the, of the tree of David that would come forth. In the book of Zechariah, there are more Christ-centered prophecies than any other Old Testament book with the exception of Isaiah. Zechariah is quoted in the New Testament more than any other of the Old Testament prophets than Isaiah. The emphasis is this, Christ is the answer. Christ is the answer. He was then... He is now, and Zechariah looks forward still, what is into our future today, and Zechariah says, Jesus Christ is still the answer in the future, and He's still the answer, and He will be in the time of Jacob's trouble. Chapter 9 through 11 focuses on His first coming, with verses that foretell Him riding into Jerusalem on a col- the foal of an ass, chapter 9, verse t- 9 and 10, and then chapter 12 and 14. What we want to look at tonight, focus upon his second coming and the millennial reign. It's interesting, when you study the book of Zechariah, it is amazing the specifics that are given concerning the battle of Armageddon, the last days, and the ushering in of the kingdom of Jesus. My R word tonight that I want to give you, I want to give it to you already, is the word regal. 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 Because when you read and you study the book of Zechariah, you can't help but get a glimpse of King Jesus upon his throne in Jerusalem, reigning this entire world for a thousand years. And my thought as we read upon this and as we read there in our text in verse number 20, in that day, the Bible says, shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. I want to preach for the time we have tonight on that subject there, holiness unto the Lord. And as we look in chapter 12 and 13, and especially chapter 14 tonight, I want to remind you that chapter number 14, contrary to what modernists will say, chapter number 14 is not an allegory of the Christian life. Chapter number 14 is not an allegory of the events of of humanity or the events of history as humanity and history has its ups and downs. We believe in a literal interpretation of the word of God and there is a rapture, there is a tribulation, and there will be a millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ in that order. And chapter number 14 describes that for us tonight. Look with me, would, if you would, in chapter number 14 and verse number 1. As we think about that word there, holiness unto the Lord and and holy, I want to take a moment tonight to define and allow us as we lay the foundation for the message tonight to think about that word holy. I don't know about on your Bible, but the spine of my Bible, some of them had them on the front, but the spine of my Bible says holy Bible. Holy means set aside for sacred use. When you pick up this book and it says Holy Bible, that tells you that it's unlike any other book. It tells you that it's a supernatural book. It, it tells you that th- this book deals with the things of God and deals with the things of this life, yes, but the things beyond this life. Uh, we oftentimes call and we refer to the, to the city of Jerusalem as the, as the holy city. What are we saying when we say that? We're saying that, that that's God's city. That belongs to God, that, that, that is set apart, that is separate for God and for His people. And one day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to reign from that, from that holy city. The Bible says, their holiness unto the Lord. Look at me in beginning in verse number one. The Bible says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Zechariah is talking to the Jews, God's people. And he says, Behold, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord there is not a 24-hour period but is referred to most as a period of time. And this is a period of the end times that God is revealing and God is giving Zechariah a glimpse of of what is going to take place during this time. The end of chapter number 13, the Bible tells us that only one-third of the Jews are going to come up to this point in time because of the persecution, because of the wrath of the Antichrist that is going to come down upon them. So this day of the Lord, this, this period of time, the time of Jacob's trouble, the last three and a half years of the tribulation period is where Zechariah is pointing us to here so keep that in mind and notice that notice that is what he says in verse number two he says for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle notice the cause here how God is going to get them ready to be destroyed by him he says I'm going to gather all nations when you think about the end times, you think about the, the battle of Armageddon, the, the final battle where, where the Bible talks about the, the blood will be running as high as the horse's bridles in that valley of Megiddo. When you think about all that takes place, so many, so many times when we read the Bible and we read the book of Revelation, we think of the, the battle of Armageddon and the, and the preparation of it, we think it's gonna take place overnight. You think of me tonight and even to the, the, the wars that we've had in the past and the conflicts that we've had, even the past of our country, most of the time, wars and battles are not prepared for and are not ready to be executed overnight. I think the Lord tonight. We have a, the fastest and the best, the most powerful military in the world, and it can mobilize anywhere in the world overnight. But most of the wars that are planned for and prepared for, think about it, they go through many months of mobilizing, of getting people, getting ships, getting manpower, equipment in places of order, getting them shipped, getting them across plains, across the world, getting things set up, amassing troops, amassing equipment, amassing armies. You're going to Congress. You're going to your your legislation. You're going to your parliament. You're going to all your people. You're getting a consensus together. So this last period, this day of the Lord preparing up to and leading to the battle of Armageddon will be a, a gathering of all nations together against Jerusalem to battle. Notice the Bible says as we continue reading in verse number two, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled and the women radished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. There will be some successes in Jerusalem and against Jerusalem by those that oppose the people of God. But the Bible describes here that all nations will be gathered together to move against Jerusalem. And some people believe this is the period that Ezekiel talks about of Gog and Magog, but that happens, we believe, much earlier during the first three and a half years. And the Bible says in verse number two, this is a gathering of all nations, not just two or three, but all Gentile nations will be gathered together against, ready to move against God's people. By the way, don't forget, the Antichrist has signed a peace treaty with God's people at the beginning of the tribulation period, making them think everything is okay, making them think that they live in peace, seeming to have all of the answers for the world, seeming to have all of the answers where millions of Christians have gone to because of the rapture, and there will be a a feeling, a sense, but a false sense of peace and security. At the three-and-a-half-year period, the Bible describes what Daniel describes as the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, the time there where the Bible describes in Matthew chapter number 24 the abomination of desolations, where the Antichrist will tear up that peace treaty, he will rise up against God's people, he will remove sacrifices from the temple there in Jerusalem, and he will set himself up to be worshipped by all the world. At that point, nations will begin to mobilize in the valley there against Jerusalem to destroy God's people. Look with me, if you would, in Matthew chapter 24. Hold your place there in Zechariah 14 and go with me to Matthew chapter number 24. We'll begin reading in verse number 15, Matthew chapter 24. In verse number 15, all of this gathering together is in preparation for the return of the Lord. Verse number 15 of Matthew chapter 24, the Bible says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Daniel the prophet looked into the future and he saw the ruler Antiochus Epiphanes who came into the temple and desecrated the temple during during the Jews' day, during the silent years between Malachi and Matthew. He desecrated the temple. He slaughtered a swine in the temple and set himself up as worship in the temple. The Jews came in and defeated him and cleaned him out with Judas Maccabees. But Daniel saw that in the future, and he said, there is coming a day beyond him, beyond in the future, when you will see this happen again. Antiochus Epiphanes was a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. And notice the Bible says in Matthew 24, 15, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Oh, don't you know as the Word of God stands true and stands strong throughout the ages, even after we are gone, during the rapture, the Word of God will be standing strong and these events will be taking place and someone's going to open the Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 15 and say, Whoso readeth, let him understand. And many eyes are going to be opened during that time to see what has taken place. Verse 16 says, Then let them be which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Turn back to Zechariah chapter number 14. That is during that period of verse number 2, the ravishing of the city the gathering and the amassing of troops there in the valley of Megiddo. And then in verse number three, it's all in preparation. As the east comes to gather to battle against the west, the Bible says, then the Lord, verse number three, the Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Notice what Zacharias says there, as when, past tense, he fought in the day of battle. Oh, can you think with me tonight, Zechariah and all the things as a prophet of God, as a priest of God, all the things from the history of the people of God that Zechariah must have had going through his mind as he talked about and as he saw in the future how that the Lord Jesus Christ would, would fight for his people as he had in the past. Oh, I can think tonight how God has fought for his people, whether it was in Exodus with Pharaoh, whether it was with the Philistines, whether it was with the Amalekites, how they held up Moses' hands and God stayed the sun from moving. How all throughout Israel's history, God has fought for his people. And Zechariah says one day that will take place again. As God has done in the past, God will again fight for his people. Verse number four, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. Oh, I'm reminded of Acts chapter number one, when the apostles were standing there and they were gazing up into heaven as Jesus departed from them into the clouds and those angels that were there standing around, they all of a sudden looked around and saw angels and they said, why are you standing, gazing up into heaven? Why? Because this same Jesus, as he has gone in like manner, will so come again. That's where we find ourselves here in Zechariah chapter number 14 when the Bible says his feet shall stand on that day on the mount of olives and notice it says it shall cleave in the midst and there's going to be a very great valley. During this time there is going to be, and we'll read a few more verses to follow, there's going to be very great geographical changes that take place in Jerusalem and in the land of Israel there. The Bible says, And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains. Verse 5. For the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. By the way, if you're saved, that's you and me. We're going to be coming with Jesus at that point and at that time when the Jews are fleeing in that valley that has been created. They're fleeing out of Jerusalem for safety, and they're fleeing for their lives, that third that is even left of Him, and King Jesus is going to come back with you and I riding with him to defeat Satan and all of his forces. The Bible says in verse number six, we see more changes of the area and of timing. The Bible says, and it shall come to pass in that day that light shall not be clear nor dark. You say, what does that mean? We don't, we're not sure what that means. But there are going to be changes somehow in light and in timing. But in that day shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night. Verse 7, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. Verse number 8, the Bible describes it says there's going to be topographical changes and it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea and summer and winter Shall it be there is going to be a new water supply that is flowing out of Jerusalem The Bible says on both sides of Jerusalem It's going to be going toward the east and toward the west never before has there been this type of water supply out of Jerusalem Oh, but i'm reminded in the book of John where the Bible says that Jesus is the living water And that is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ And the everlasting supply of the fountain of the water of life that he is for you and I We see in verse number nine the Lord shall be king over all the earth In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. Isaiah 9, 6. The Bible says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. We're not going to take time to turn there, but there is a a colon right there, a punctuation, where that spans at least 20 centuries, and the time is still counting. Because the Bible goes on to say, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. When Jesus Christ came the first time as a Messiah, as a baby born in the manger, the government was upon, wasn't upon his shoulder. He was looked down upon, he was cursed, he was mocked, he was crucified. But there is coming a day still in the future where the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In the reign of his government there shall be no end. The Bible describes that he is coming again and his name shall be one. Verse number 10, and the land shall be turned as a plain. So everything around Jerusalem is going to be flattened out and Jerusalem is going to be lifted up geographically. It's going to be topographical changes. Notice verse number 11, Jerusalem is going to be repopulated. The Bible says, and the men shall dwell in it and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely Inhabited what a contrast to today What a contrast of that battle that they are seeing right then that Jerusalem is going to be safely inhabited What a contrast of all of the history of Jerusalem ever since Jerusalem even before David made Jerusalem his capital city It was ruled by the Jebusites and as David walked around Jerusalem and walked around the city of Jebus they cursed him and they threw stones at him Jerusalem has been a violent city the city of peace has been a violent city. But the Bible says one day they will be safely inhabited. Verse number 12, 13, and 14, and 15. It's interesting as you read it, Zachariah in his mind and the vision that God has given him, he pauses where he's going chronologically in, in the millennial reign, and he backs up to verse number three of how God is going to specifically deal with these nations that have come against his people. Notice verse number 12, the Bible says, And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. They will literally rot away where they stand. I'm reminded of Herod, how when he gave not God the glory, worms consumed his flesh verse 13 and it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the lord shall be among them and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor they're going to these armies are going to turn and they're going to kill each other in a in a panic allowing the believing Jews to escape out of Jerusalem verse 14 and Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together gold and silver and apparel in great abundance Verse 15 talks about the plague on the animals of the enemy as well too. Verse 16 he comes back to the chronological order. Verse 16 begins to show us the gentile remnant that is left in the world that have either helped or sided the Jews. They are the sheep of Matthew chapter number 25. All others have been killed at this point. All others have been destroyed in this great battle. Or during the last three and a half years through the judgments that have been poured out of God upon the earth? I did a little bit of a math and a little bit of a study. When you look and you consider that only two-thirds or one-third of the Jews will live through that last three and a half year period according to chapter 13. And you look in the book of Revelation, it appears that almost in total two-thirds of the population of the world will be killed during that last three and a half years. That's 42 months. The population of the world today is 7.7 billion. At the time of even today, there is a death count of an average of 160,000 people die per day. Every day that we're living, yesterday, today, tomorrow, worldwide, 160,000 people will die. In order for two-thirds of the population of the world to die during those 42 months, not 160,000 will die a day, but an average of 109 million will die every day. You talk about death and destruction that will come upon this world during that time because of the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ against those who have stood against Him, who have rejected His plea who have, as we've heard in the last of uh, uh, Haggai and as we've heard of the last of, of Amos and the other prophets, who have not responded, who have not returned, who have not listened to the prophets, who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, all of those will die during that time. And the Bible says in verse number 16, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, this is the remnant, shall even go up from year to year to worship the king the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was the one celebration that did not have reference to the Messiah coming in his sacrifice. That was simply a, a feast of celebration as they were celebrating their, their salvation from Egypt. And oh, what a reminder that is for us tonight as we will continually, for all the the millennial reign, be reminded year after year after year as we celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles, how that you and I also were delivered from Egypt, how that you and I were saved from from sin, and we were saved from from all that pertains to the punishment of sin. And we will celebrate, the Bible says, that year after year, we will go up and we will keep that feast. So think with me tonight, all of the world, the Bible says all people, Will come to Jerusalem year after year to celebrate this feast now at first everyone is going to enjoy it everyone is going to obey it all people all lands that are alive and that are that are into the millennial reign those that are saved Satan will be chained during that time there'll be no wickedness in the earth the curse will have been removed And if you think with me tonight, fresh in memory will be the plagues that God brought upon his enemies. Fresh in memory will be the battle of Armageddon. Fresh in memory will be the last 42 months where 109 million people died every single day from the judgment of God that are poured out upon this earth. And so there will be a great desire, there will be a great motivation to go up to Jerusalem every year and serve the Lord, never wanting that life of sin, never wanting that that, that wickedness that was upon the earth at one time. No desire to rebel. But the Bible says in verse number 17, and it begins to describe that there are some factors that will lead some to stop coming. The Bible says in verse number 17, and it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not that have no rain, Egypt doesn't depend upon rain, they depend upon the Nile. So, if they don't come up, God is going to take care of them. If rain doesn't do it, He is going to send them a plague. Wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. You say, why is all this, why is this rebellion coming about during the millennial reign? I thought it was going to be a reign of no sin. I thought there was not going to be anything of that. Let me give you several factors that are going to lead to that. Although all who enter the millennial will be saved, they will not have glorified bodies like those who came, you and I, with Christ. Those who come and those who return to this earth with the Lord Jesus Christ to defeat the enemies and the armies of the Gentile nations, we who have died in Christ or we who go to heaven in the rapture will return with the Lord Jesus Christ with our glorified bodies. For the seven years of the tribulation period, we will be in heaven. We'll be having the judgment seat of Christ. We will be having the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we will return to earth in our glorified bodies. But those who are saved on that earth during the tribulation period who have not heard of the gospel and responded to the witness of the 144,000, they will go into the millennial reign with mortal bodies. They will still have to deal with their sin nature. Also, for 1,000 years, those who have mortal bodies will still be having children who need to be saved. And that is why the Bible describes in the book of Revelation that Satan, although he is chained for a thousand years, he will be released and loosed for a season to draw those away and to give them a choice to serve the Lord or to follow Satan. The Bible says this shall be the punishment of Egypt, verse 19, and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. What an amazing reminder for us tonight that the human heart never changes. The human heart is desperately wicked. If there is an opportunity for us to sometimes turn away from the Lord, those that will be, there will be those who take that opportunity. Now look at me in verse number 20. The Bible says, "...in that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts." And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein. And in that day shall there be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. These last two verses, what I want to focus on tonight for the time we have left, show how the righteous, listen tonight, show how the righteous will conduct themselves during the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I want to bring for you tonight, and what I want to bring for you for the, for the sake of the message And for the sake of helping us understand is that is the very same way that the righteous should be conducting themselves tonight. Not just in the millennial reign, not just in the future reign of Christ when, when, when things are there and he's, he's ruling and reigning from Jerusalem and He has His, his physical throne there and He's setting things up and He's legislating and He's judging. But this is the same way the people of God ought to be conducting themselves today in this life now of simply having an understanding that my life should be holiness to the Lord. Holiness in that day the Bible is describing in verse 20 and 21 will pervade every aspect of their lives. The Bible says the bells, the bells on the horses, imagine with me, are going to say holiness to the Lord. There's nothing about bells or horses' bells or the the ornaments upon the reins and the bridle of horses that is special in and of itself. But God says in that day, everything is going to be holiness to the Lord. Everything is going to be dedicated for His service. Everything is going to be be special in that way. They're going to be inscribed. The bells on the horse's bridle will be inscribed with the very same words, Exodus chapter 38 tells us, that are inscribed upon the miter of the high priest, holiness unto the Lord. All the vessels the Bible describes in verse number 20 and 21, all the vessels in the Lord's house will be equally as holy. Pots were considered the lowliest of vessels, but the Bible says pots will be equal with the bowls. The bowls in the Old Testament were used to catch the blood of the sacrifice and be carried to the mercy seat and poured upon the altar there. But God says during that day, the pots are going to be as special as the bowls. All of them are going to be holiness to the Lord. But not just in the house of the Lord. Are things going to be sacred? The Bible describes every pot and every private home in Jerusalem and Judah will be just as holy and dedicated to the Lord. Tonight, the challenge for you and I today who have been saved and redeemed, we have to understand and we have to be reminded tonight, we are the temple, the Bible says, of the Holy Ghost. The challenge for you and I tonight is to have everything in our life dedicated, separate, unto the Lord for holy purpose. To have our lives so consecrated, to have our lives so sacred, to have our lives as we looked about the Bible, a holy Bible, as we talked about the city of Jerusalem, the holy city, a place, a Bible, a book that is separate, that is not ordinary, that is called out, and that is a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Our lives are, are to be marked because we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Our lives are to be marked by holiness to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said this, And remind you, it was over 100 years ago, but he said there are some in these apostate days who think that the church cannot do better than to come down to the world to learn her ways, follow her maxims, and acquire her culture. In fact, the notion is that the world is to be conquered by our conformity to it. And then he said this, this is as contrary to Scripture as the light is to the darkness i going to say tonight, there should be no unholy corners of your life. There should be no unholy corners of my life. There should be no areas of your life and my life where they are not separated unto him. Because so many times in our life, we find as we go throughout our Christian life, we're saved, we're excited about living for God, we get baptized, we're excited about telling maybe our co-workers, our family, all around us that, hey, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, and I want you to know too. And we live a separated, a dedicated life for the Lord, and we say, God, what can I do for you? But it's not long before we begin to isolate areas and say, well, God, I'll give you this, but this over here, I'm going to reserve for myself. A holiness unto the Lord. It all belongs to Him. There should not be any corner, any crack, any crevice of our life that does not belong to Him. There should be no aspect where we reserve something in our life for secular instead of the sacred. By the way, that's where our modern churches have gone, where they say, and maybe even here tonight you say, well, we're going to go home and we're going to listen to our music. And yes, it's, it's sacred, but, but we're going to have the church music because it, it's, it's, it, it's secular over there and it's sacred here. We're, we're going to sing the songs of Zion in church because it's a sacred place. Oh, but when we get home and we'll have it on our computers, we'll have it on our iPods, we'll have it on our phones, it'll be secular and it'll be, it'll be okay because it's not a church. And we separate and we delineate secular and sacred. Sacred. We do that in our music. We do that in our dress. We do that in our entertainment. We do it in almost every aspect of our life. Oh, but for the child of God tonight, there is to be no distinction between the secular and the sacred. In fact, there is not to be a secular in our life. Why? Because holiness unto the Lord. It is all to be sacred in our life. Today, so many times we have degrees of holiness. When everything ought to be done, the Bible tells us, whatsoever you eat or whatsoever therefore you drink do all to the glory of God we have degrees of holiness but the Bible describes there's coming a day when all things will be sacred and holy but as God's people who are the temple of God that day should be now every aspect of our daily life should manifest the holiness of God our music our dress our what we read our entertainment and I want to challenge you tonight to, to allow the Holy Spirit of God to do business with you tonight during a Bible study on a Wednesday night. I want to challenge you to go home. Maybe ladies, look in your closet and can you display a rack above your clothes that says holiness to the Lord? Or is there something there that's reserved for secular and it's not all sacred? Men, maybe you need to go home tonight. Maybe you need to put on your phone or put on the, the screen saver of your computer a, 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 a sign or something that says holiness to the Lord, because every single aspect of our life ought to be holiness to the Lord. Maybe you need to go home and you need to put it on the dashboard of your car, because wherever I go, it needs to be holiness to the Lord. Whatever I listen to needs to be holiness to the Lord. Whatever I read needs to be holiness unto the Lord. Why? Because in that day there will be nothing ordinary. The bells on the horse's bridle won't be ordinary in that day. The pots that are in the lowliest houses of Jerusalem and Judea won't be, won't be ordinary in that day. Why? Because King Jesus is on the throne. Is He on the throne tonight in your heart? If He is, nothing will be ordinary in your life. Nothing will be ordinary in my life to, to be where we say, well, this is reserved for me and I, I can't use it for the Lord. Oh, we ought to be so desirous for God to use us, for God to use what we have. Nothing should be off limits. One day the Bible describes Jer- Jerusalem will be a magnet for all that is holy and all that is pure. You and I today should be holy and desire to be used by God wherever He has you, being a magnification of Him. He has you on a bus route. He has you in a workplace. He has you in your homes. He has you singing specials. He has you as an usher, a Sunday school teacher, well, whatever it might be. Use it to be a magnification of of Him, realizing that nothing should be ordinary in our life. Let me leave you this thought. As we understand that you and I are alive, who are alive tonight, we will be brought into the millennial kingdom in glorified bodies. There will be no more sin nature, praise God for that. There will be no fighting this flesh, as the Apostle Paul talks about those things which I... No, I should do, I don't do, and the things that I know I shouldn't do, I I do. That, That struggle of our flesh will be no more for you and I who are saved here tonight and go to heaven through death or through the rapture before the millennial reign. So with that thought, could I remind you tonight and could I implore you that this life that you and I now are living is the only opportunity we have to choose and to do that which is holiness unto the Lord. There won't be a choice for you and I in the millennial kingdom. It's going to come natural. We'll have our glorified bodies. We'll have our immortal bodies. This time right now is the time that you and I have to choose. I want to serve God. I want to live for God now because I've got a choice now. I want to serve Him because I love Him. The Apostle Paul talks about the love of Christ constraineth me. There ought to be that desire that you have tonight to have everything in your life, holiness to the Lord, realizing there is coming day where that is going to be that is going to be the status quo. That is going to be what reigns and rules on this earth, holiness to the Lord. But as God's people tonight, we ought to say, God, I'm making that the rule and reign in my life right now.